0: You are listening to Master's Decoded Podcast Series. I'm your host and the chief decoder, Anis Merchant. Through this podcast, I bring in guests who are successful in a different walk of life to decode and map out their careers and journeys with the hope that we gain all our learnings. The world around us is changing exponentially and how the impact of artificial intelligence technology and other socio-economic factors have either influenced or enhanced my guest careers today i have a pleasure to bring on samir dhanrajani ceo of ai curate a startup consulting firm samir and i i have known each other for the last three years now samir has had a fantastic career journey at his first job he was able to take up a role as an executive assistant, and today he's a CEO of a company. In his own words, Samir was an introvert, and today he has developed himself to be an outgoing personality and being excellent in building relationships. Listen in to hear his fantastic career journey. Hey, Samir, thanks for taking time out and uh, joining the podcast today.
1: Thanks, Anis, uh, for giving me this opportunity, a great platform to be at Master Decorate. I appreciate that.
0: So, Samir, you and I have known each other for almost two years now, and I know a little bit about your career uh, and also what you're currently doing. Uh, For the benefit of the audience, uh, if you can share a little bit about the two companies which you're running, which are fascinating, uh, and I'm sure people will love to hear your current focus.
1: Sure. uh, I think... uh of my 23 years of career, Anis, uh, I think one thing which has stood out for me, and that's been a very conscious decision, as I say, is about taking a risk. Uh, as, as as I speak today, in fact, uh, if I see my last 13, 14 years of my career journey, uh, post my stint at GenPAC, which was into analytics, uh, I did three stints which were very consciously uh Designed in a way where I could get different genres of experience in terms of uh, industry segment. Uh, The country had stint for fidelity building up a kind of a back office captive share service center for a large firm uh, from ground zero to a stage where I moved to a third party bellwether IT company called Cognizant, building their global analytics and data science capability and practice and to a stage working for a pure-play AI firm, Fractal. Uh, all these three uh, stints and professional, I would say, assignments uh, were actually uh, very, very uh, well mull through from my side in terms of how I need to kind of really evolve as a professional, else also as an individual in terms of learning and ensuring that I don't get uh, stayed and kind of, let's say, bracketized in one industry segment. So that was the whole idea of... Uh, kind of picking up uh, these three assignments and with uh, the usual kind of biting what I always say an entrepreneurial bug. So the thing what you do after changing three industry segments over the last 13, 14 years is to kind of say, okay, now it's a ripe time for you to start something of your own, and hence came AI Curate. But to your question, uh, in fact, I would like to highlight two experiences uh, of my 23 years, which has really kind of been, I would say, Uh, very, very, I would say, uh, valuable and also something Mm -hmm. that I go back as part of uh, my own reflection has been very uh, testing for me. One is, of course, this stint about Fidelity, Mm -hmm. uh, 2007, a complete situation after the year where the meltdown happened. Mm -hmm. So the only thing as part of the assignment I got was the offer letter and a piece of land uh, in Bangalore, Electronic City. And the remit from The organization back in the U.S. was built, the shared service center, the capability center out here. And then you realize that look uh, is as as good as kind of, let's say, looking at a German side, starting in terms of picking up your leadership team, looking at building the office, and then gradually doing that work on the kind of technology side or, let's say, the business process side and maybe then the analytics or uh, KPO side as part of the evolution. And that's where it it, it tests you not only just being a leader, but also a person who actually could see the things not today, but maybe, let's say, a few months, one year, two years down the line, and build that kind of, let's say, ability to scale up the teams and also instill a kind of a vision for the organization in terms of how that work needs to happen. Great. And then this thing around uh, Cognizant, which was a follow-up assignment after Fidelity, it's a third-party assignment kind of a thing, where the first thing which hits you in the very first month of your stint was, is your p in shape? And honestly, mm-hmm. going back in 2011, my first experience was bad, where in the review meeting with the leadership, I was told, look, what's your top line, what's your bottom line, and what's your SGA is what you get decided. Rest everything is hygiene and table steak. Mm-hmm. And that's where the realization comes in, how you kind of build a business, how you control the financial levers and how do you kind of scale up the capability with the clients where the business gets more incremental. So these are the two, I would say, assignments, which to me were game changing for me.
0: Very impressive. Um, so, Samir, uh, we also see you being super active uh, in the speaking, writing circle, I would say, Uh I was just looking at your blog, you've had about 145 plus articles, you've had so many speaking before everything went down to a lockdown. You were pretty much active every week uh, with the speaking and a lot of articles being written. Uh, And you also are running two companies now. How do you keep up with all of this? Where does the energy come from?
1: Well, uh, Anis, first of all, I appreciate the kind of research you've done. It's exactly the kind of a number what you said is something what uh, is the right number. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that there are a couple of aspects out here. Uh, Look, uh, if I go back and this is the first time I'm ever sharing uh, anywhere in any kind of an engagement, I've always been an introvert in my school and college time. Uh, I was so scared uh, of impromptu kind of, let's say, talks or these extempore sessions that I used to evade school and college at that point of time. And uh, somewhere, I think, uh, as I mentioned, the stint at Fidelity being at the helm of affairs taught me the thing of what I say, connect individually and connect largely with the public and employees and the workforce. And these are two different de- de- dimensions. When you're speaking at large in a town hall or in a kind of an offside or in a kind of a, let's say, uh, always with the larger population, you need to create and instill confidence and trust with your larger team or the set of workforce or the professionals you're responsible for. And second is, think around when you're doing one on ones, those kind of, let's say, straight away kind of a hard to chart, you need to build a professional camaraderie with your employees because unless it's not there, they will never come out in terms of uh, what they would like to pour out as part of their emotions, feelings, and behavior. And let's also always realize that, and in my own analogy, I've always maintained that we got to have a difference and division between our professional and personal life not necessarily what we exude in professional life needs to be there in personal life because these are two different segments. Now, it's not about wearing filters, but it's also about kind of really saying that, look, how do you manage relationships with the people, Mm -hmm. whether it's professional and personal? And that's where, to the aspect to your question was, to me, I think writing, speaking is fun. I enjoy that kind of a thing for the people with all due regards who so spend time on streaming videos or looking at the TV, my passion is about writing. I sit, I kind of devote time, I have these ruminations in terms of what I need to write, and it comes out in terms of the words and the narrators. And so is the speaking with the four TED Talks I have done. I have not gone prepared or never had a script for that. It was just about the top salient points, what I want to draw. And that's how it should come out in terms of being more, in a manner which is like you are prepared, you are kind of rehearsed, but you are not tutored. So that that's my own kind of a, let's say reflection uh, to the question what you asked, Anis.
0: So you spoke about being an introvert, and uh, you spoke, uh, you kind of touched upon that phase within your school and college. How did you realize that you were an introvert, and uh, how did you break through it?
1: Well, the first reflection of being an introvert is uh, you tend to kind of stay away from the conversations uh, which and where you need to participate. Hmm. Uh, second, I think that inability in the initial stage to kind of create your own mindset and thought process took me some time. Hmm. And and as I reflect back, that also goes with a lot of the population today, what I say, the millennials and Gen Z that look At some level, the uncertainty in terms of what we need to become in our professional life gives rise to what I say, whether you're an extrovert or introvert kind of a thing. And somewhere, I think it's also got to do with how much clear you are in your mind in terms of what you need to accomplish and what you should not be accomplishing, and the choice is what you make decides in terms of your personality and traits. But I keep on saying that, look, traits, personalities and attributes of an individual is ever fungible. and Nothing today in terms of what we always say in analytics AI that everyone is learning. No one is an expert. Hmm.
0: Uh, you started your career at Genpack, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and uh, you did that after your engineering. Uh, how did that career decision happen? Uh, was Were you a campus recruit or did you make a conscious decision to get started there?
1: Well, uh, just to correct Anis out there, uh, in fact, uh, my career started with Gillette and okay. FMCG company. And uh, that was straight out of the campus. And uh, trust me, if I reflect back today, uh, a lot of the learnings, best practices and the uh, inculcations of what I exude today as part of my professional career comes from what I say, the fast-paced FMCG background. And I'll take an anecdote out there. One, uh, if you look at any FMCG industry, and you work with multiple, several clients in that space, when you are launching a product, you better kind of rework in terms of a plan where your product design, production, inventory, supply chain, your marketing, your sales, everything needs to be backward revised and calculated to see, because you can't change the date of the product launch, Mm -hmm. which means the processes come in very handy and the firefighting thing becomes a part of the day. And that's the kind of reflection I've carried in technology or what I say the AI analytics background because uh, today we're talking about this phenomena where every project in analytics AI is different, data is different and the expectation of the clients is different. So how do you build that kind of uh, a dynamic and fluid approach with a high velocity in the team so that they understand that, look, eventually we are giving insights, intelligence, and recommendation to the clients and not just a set of KPIs, dashboards, and numbers. And one of the anecdotes which stood me to your question, uh, which I want to reflect, is uh, at the start of my career, I had one uh, very, I would say, uh, game-changing uh, aspect of my learning. In the very first six months of uh, I joining as a management trainee uh, with Gillette and uh, as usually it happens that after six months you are uh, kind of uh, exposed to meeting the MD over a kind of let's say lunch and every management trainee comes in as part of uh, meeting the MD over a lunch and in that particular meeting while he was talking and meeting everyone, the MD said, okay, uh, I'm looking for an executive assistant who would like to kind of uh, become one. Hmm. And that, to the point, Anis, for the first time ever in my life, I raised my hand to the question what he said about introvert. I don't know what happened going back now thinking. And he met me a few times, a couple of times and uh, discussed what the expectation and I started that stint as an EA to an M- MD. Now think of the six months of professional career and you're straight away interfacing with the business functional heads who have 30, 35 years of experience alongside with the MD. And that learning to me for the next two, two and a half years of that particular stint I did as an EA to MD stood out with my career in terms of how you develop a strategic and operational aspects of your learning because you can't just go too strategic, you can't just go to tactical or operational you need to build a plane and I think that's where I think a lot of that I would say learning I attribute in terms of what I see that today happening in my own set of work and assignments
0: it it's almost you know I have seen some very successful individuals who started their initial years being an EA to somebody pretty senior within an organization and uh, it's almost like an MBA of sorts because you get a well-rounded perspective of the organization the working and how management decisions are being made not in terms of the books but actual in the business scenarios Uh, so have you seen that as an experience too as being an ea to an md of a company that large
1: well absolutely you you said the right thing anise because one uh, look it definitely puts you on a elevated and a very fast-track career path and a lattice. Uh, You are exposed in terms of the overall scenario of an organization at a very early age. And third, uh, the learning is immense. I mean, that interface, uh, uh, the whole aspect of uh, kind of, let's say, ensuring that you have a holistic aspect of understanding is immense. Flip side, You are looked upon in terms of anything what you do, how you interact, how you communicate on a very, very granular level. So the chances of going wrong are minimal because these guys, the functional or the business heads, have least of patience when it comes to demanding that excellence or kind of a right work approach. So you need to build, and a lot of time it's on the go, but uh, yeah, that helped me in terms of, I would say, a lot of the stints, what I did in my subsequent and specifically to the fidelity stint, what I told you, I mean, being a country head at, at 32 years, being the youngest one in the country and saying, look, I will create an organization which becomes a premier organization and shared service, to me was more like, okay, let me work with a very FMCG, CPG mentality of creating fastest approach rather than a technology-oriented approach where you're just kind of, let's say, looking at bringing some tools, infrastructure, and techniques and that to me is like having a kind of a, let's say, body but without a
0: soul. You keep talking about Fidelity and uh, the prior experience with other companies as well. Uh, building teams, uh, you spoke about building, uh, bringing in key hires and key leadership who can help you shape the vision which you have when you were doing that at Fidelity and you've done that at Cognizant and many other companies. What kind of profile or qualities you've been looking at uh to go ahead and hire or mentor people and now being a ceo when you look at partners or an ecosystem what are those attributes which you prefer to work with or you like building upon on
1: i think yeah that, that that's a great thing what you just talked about and i just want to mm-hmm. take an approach which to me it's like uh, run better run different uh the set of people, uh, leaders, uh, professionals you need to hire uh, should carry uh, these two attributes of run better, run different. And let me explain what I'm talking about. Run better is all about, look, uh, in your specific respective work spheres of what you're responsible for, you need to create a distinction. Everyone does a job. Everyone manages a kind of, let's say, set of teams, smaller or larger Everyone has a bit of numbers in terms of manageability of P&L. But what's the kind of distinction you're bringing over there in terms of what I say, quote-unquote, best practices, which are your own, which becomes your leadership style or a mantra? That's one. Uh, second, on the run different is, to the point what you asked, everyone carries an attribute or a kind of, a let's say, a quality. And that needs to stand out in terms of how you start exuding and kind of, let's say, walking across to carry that on your shoulders in terms of saying, look, this is me as an individual and this is my style attribute and this is my quality. And that is what makes me different. Which goes to the fact what I keep on saying that as leaders, when we are bringing smart people, those smart people are accumulation or aggregation of different set of attributes and capabilities, which... Gives you a feeling, look, I've got a fast tracker. I've got a great technologist guy, technology guy. I've got a guy who understands finance uh, and numbers. I've got a guy who can really kind of ruminate, cogitate in terms of being strategic. These are the qualities when under different, you kind of bring those set of people. Uh, you need to kind of really then say, okay, yeah, that's where you've built a, what we say, cohesive and a holistic team. Just to end up on this thing, I always keep on saying that, look, we want to give people a chance to or an opportunity to kind of work their way out in terms of development of their professional personalities and attributes because a lot of times we try to impose and change when these professionals join any new organization. So tomorrow this person may be reporting into me, but he or she may be reporting into someone else. And we try to always say, look, this is how I should be uh kind of asking my direct reports or supervisors to do this thing, I think that's not the culture what will prevail today. What's important is let them stand on their firm saliency, tonality of their attributes or quality of their leadership. You just tweak in terms of what your role organization demands. The rest, everything will be in order. And I think these are the things to me are more like that, look, You hire individuals because they're smart. You ask them to perform because that's what the organization Mm -hmm. wants. But you leave them because at the end of the day, this whole aspect of governance controls will not work. And somewhere, if you see today, organizations are inculcating, which is to me also is that, look, let's have fun at work kind of a thing. It's, It's easy to say, but you need to kind of also demonstrate that by being concerted, serious, but with an approach that you can also let go some of the goof-ups or fumbles which happens along the way. goes to the point of this fast experimentation or kind of a fail-fast skill quickly as well.
0: You know, you spoke about order, and from this conversation we've been having till now, uh, you come across as somebody who's pretty well-structured, thought through in terms of the actions as well as uh, looking at okay what are the different dimensions but you challenge yourself and you disrupted that order yourself by leaving a well you know structured job to moving into something completely unconventional or I would say in these days it is conventional uh, which is being a CEO and starting a company right from scratch how did that meaning where did that bug come in from? You did speak about earlier that there was an aspiration to do that after working in few companies. Uh, but how did that bug hit? And why did you feel the need to do it now, then later, or before then? This?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it was a natural progression, Anis, to the point what you asked me. And uh, look, uh, when you look at different genres of industry today, uh Global Capability Center, an IT organization, then a pure play AI firm. Now, I had the privilege and I would say an honor to work with the best of the people leadership and uh, creating a substantial body of work in these three organizations. But you always realize that, look, at the end of the day, if this aggregation of knowledge, what you've gained and what you have demonstrated for the clients can work out in a manner where you're creating something very substantial one and something which to me is a white space, which is the thing around AI strategy today. And this goes back to the link, what I was trying to explain in the previous uh, narrative that the business models are changing, uh, the strategic frameworks in terms of how we work today is changing. And so in terms of our approach, how we look at today artificial intelligence. And that's where, when you spend a time, which is 17 years of your 23 years, and somewhere then you reflect and ruminate back in terms of what you should be doing. You realize that, look, now is the time, 17 years of your career needs to be aggregated. And that's the kind of a juice you need to kind of, let's preserve to say, look, can you create something which is unique? more kind of impactful and something which you want to enjoy at the end of the day. And that's where I realized that AI as a strategy to me is a white space. It's an area which as a consulting and advisory, I felt uh, needs to be kind of coming out in my own venture. And hence the whole start of this venture called AI Curate.
0: Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your family. Uh, You know, you've had movements in different cities, And you've had movement in jobs and you've traveled extensively as well as part of your job. Uh, How has family helped you shape or evolve your career? If you start right from your day one of your job to now being a CEO, how did that evolve?
1: Well, I think uh, fortunate to have uh, parents who really gave me a free hand in terms of picking up uh, my career. Uh, in fact, going back, just taking a minute over there, I always wanted to become a cricketer. I played for my school. I played captain my college team. Uh, and at some level, you know, you reach at a cusp of decision-making where you say, okay, look, on one side, there is a probability of uh, less than a one person making it higher up in the cricket uh, field. And then there is another career, which is a professional career. Which can take you to different places as part of your learning and as part of your contribution. I picked up the latter. Okay. And uh, very few parents actually at that point of time, I'm talking about way back in 97, will give you a leeway to say, look, decide what you want to do because either ways we are at your side. So that's one. um, And as part of uh, my own reflection, I I really kind of uh, believe that I'm happy to have those. A very, very, I would say, affectionate parents where they understand uh, and always give me a free hand in terms of what I would like to do. I've got a sister and a co-brother. Uh, they both uh, settled in Mumbai. And my sister is uh, six years older to me. And she's always been a kind of a guiding force in terms of uh, uh, few words, but very impactful words in terms of uh, what I would like to do in my career. Not from a choice, but more in terms of being critique. And uh, Sometimes I realize that, look, whatever she was giving me a feedback was not harsh, it was relevant. And that's where I still realize that in, in due course of time, every few months, I speak to her and then take some of those kind of things in terms of how I should perform. Because sometimes you realize you need to take opinions and feedback, not from the people from the same industry or same kind of, let's like, say, genre, but very different set of people who've been with you throughout. And they know your personality in and out. So that's one. And second, of course, with the uh, family coming to the picture, my own family, uh, wife, uh, she's always been what I say, a, a kind of a support to mm-hmm. me, Where whether it's my travel, whether it's my participation in multiple forums, engagements, uh, with the amount of time I've spent less, uh, or rather in, in high paucity and deficit. Uh, she made it up in terms of being there for my daughter. she's twelve year today, my daughter, and she realizes that today that I think as a family, we have grown in terms of a thing where what I used to be in terms of twenty days out to a stage where I'm spending more time is a realization that look at some level, these are all crests and troughs that comes in where relationship gets more strengthened if you realize at what of time, what point of time is what's important. It's not about your how 20 days and then 10 days, then you are trying to make up. It's about what you speak, what assurance, and what background work you can do to make sure your family is uh, feeling comfortable. And sometimes, despite we having so much of social interactions, it's better to gauge emotions of the family members because they don't speak sometimes what they want to speak. Yeah. But at some level, you realize that whether it's relationship with uh, your wife or your kid. I think it only gets more strengthened when we start working in terms of understanding them and also listening to them more carefully. And somewhere, I think I've realized that as an individual also, uh, being a kind of a father, being a kind of a husband, I've matured in terms of understanding the vagaries of life and what it takes to kind of ensure that uh, the successful relationships are maintained and sustained.
0: And I see you maintaining those relationships in professional life as well. I think uh, you are one of the great networkers and somebody who is able to rally people around uh, for a common cause. And I've seen that multiple times. So, uh, yeah, relationships and building relationship is one of the positive strengths I do see. So just building on these traits, the personality traits, uh, you did speak about introvert, uh, being an introvert and how you've... uh, Built upon that and worked upon that, and now the relationship aspect. Uh, what other attributes you had to develop or you've harnessed uh, over the years to be able to be successful in what you're currently doing?
1: Sure, I, I think uh, on the relationship and this uh, part of building that network, uh, yeah, I, I think. Uh, I've I've learned a lot on this, Anis. Uh, One of the best learning I had was uh, with a gentleman. uh, I can't share the name, but he uh, met me once in a conference 15 years back, 15, 16 years back, and told me one thing that stop exchanging the cards and stop exchanging all these kind of, let's say, the names and the titles. Start working on heart-to-heart interactions. Hmm. And that particular set of words still uh, kind of uh, really, I say, uh, rumbles and kind of really uh, ruminates in my mind uh, always where we meet people professionally, personally, every time, every day, every kind of, let's say, forum, conference, specifically in professional uh, fear of work, I have realized, and this is my own reflection, we're just meeting for the heck of it. We go to a conference, we go to a kind of a seminar, an event, we exchange cards, and we just leave over there. I don't know how many of us then really go back and start looking, hey, we met some few people who really could be uh, kind of let's, the people you would like to interact in future. And that's where the networking aspect to me was more about It's not networking, it's relationship building. And somewhere, the power of collective being there, the power of, I would say, collective kind of, let's say, intellectual uh, aspect needs to come into the picture. Hmm. Whether the initiatives on creating multiple forums around analytics, AI, or kind of coming up together to conjure up a kind of, let's say, black book with Wiley, or even I'm saying up, part of interventions we have done with multiple industry consortia outside as a team. To me, I think these are the reflections when I go back, gives me great strength to realize that, look, I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own. Hmm. It's the people who came together and all of us contributed our own bit and chip to say, look, now see the reality in terms of what we have done. And I go back to the point of saying this forum we started in Bangalore six, seven years back and uh, you you also have a kind of let's say way how you're running that in Mumbai and we have now in NCR, very humble beginnings, few kind of conversations. But today, outside of the numbers of almost hundred analytics AI leaders in multiple cities, even in US, we have a forum. You realize that look, we've been able to collectively aggregate, brainstorm on multiple issues, specific interventions of how analytics AI industry should be shaped up. Wouldn't have been possible by just few people, but it happened and then you realize now that these all people here have relationship, I mean, for forever kind of a thing. So I think over there, one is this piece around network, but build relationships. And second to the point, uh, to me, I think these are essential skills, not soft skills. And one of the things which I've learned is the power of persuasion. Mm -hmm. Or I'm still running, learning rather, which is about look at every stage, whether it's a task or it's a kind of a, let's say, uh, assignment or a kind of, a let's say, uh, role or even a kind of a, let's say, target you need to kind of really uh, accomplish. You cannot do it on your own. And for that, even though while you have a team which can rally around and rally behind you you need to build a persuasion mechanism with them. That what's in for them, what it means as part of their career career learning, what's in for them as part of monetary compensation. And persuasion in every aspect is important because people need those nudges before they really get convinced. So one is that aspect about persuasion. The second is more about uh, the thing is about how do you do conflict management and negotiations, kind of? A negotiation not from just about a certain commercial aspect. And let me come first on uh, the, the thing around uh, conflict management. I'm still not able to realize if there's been any day in my career where you're not resolving or trying to kind of come out of any of the conflicts you had amongst the employees, the team supervisor, with the clients, with the vendors, or the people you attract. Some of some of these conflicts have been harsh in terms of even the relationship going astray. But then you realize that, look, it's all about kind of really looking at the picture combined of what we say in the management language win-win situations. And that's the conflict management is all about. And the thing around in terms of how do you then really start looking at aspect about what we say negotiations of bringing the right set of I would say attributes of making a deal, a conversation meaningful. Hmm. Because it cannot be just it's my way and or the highway kind of a thing because gone are those days. It's all about really saying look, you soak in different perspective, uh individuals kind of let's say persona and then say, Okay, can we create a combined aspect which works for everyone? And to me these, these are part of persuasion, conflict management and really kind of Challenging you to come out of your status quo.
0: Now, being a CEO, where you're rallying a lot of people around, as well as you've started a non-profit uh, organization, uh, the Three AI. What are some of the key learnings which you would like to share? I know it's pretty early right now, but are there any learnings which you've come across?
1: Well, I think yeah. Let me share this uh, non-profit association, Three uh, AI, uh, which is. Uh, AI and Analytics Association, a uh, few of us came together and we realized there are two predicaments happening uh, in India. One, we've got 34.8 million students passing out of the high school every year. And uh, our deployment rates, once they graduate, is just about 18 to 20%. There are 1.8 million engineering graduates their deployability raises about 22%. 15,000 colleges in India. Damn, son, you just hit with the wow effect. And if we look at the course curriculum and the programs, you realize, least these are all dated and archaic in many of those organizations or other academic institutions. Can we ensure that the students of tomorrow and today know that the career paths are not what it used to be? years back, these are different career paths. And the second is think about what you and me always live and breathe every day is about AI and analytics in terms of current setup. 300 open thousand positions in India, one is through 35 in terms of selection ratio. And if some of us who are running with 50, 100, 200 people open positions, we know today the ranks we have in terms of interviewing people and realizing that their profiles are bloated. And you're eventually rejecting those people because their skill sets are not fungible and suited for your organization. So that gave us the genesis to really say that as an organization, let's build that ecosystem. of. So this aspect about creating an ecosystem of analytics, thought leaders, startups, academia, uh, institutions, learning organization, was the genesis where we said we will bring... The professionals, so it's in terms of one-on-one kind of let's say networking sessions, a lot of kind of those uh, webinars in terms of intervention and also create a sense of how they should shape up their careers either from the start or wherever they are today, going to the next level. So that's one on the three-year side. To the aspect about AI Curator, I think one of the learnings out here for us is also it takes time to build the organization to build your own venture because. Whatever have been your accomplishments of the past, they are as good as the yesterday It's a clean slate. And for anyone we approach today, we have to build our own cred again. And that's where the realization comes in that, look, at some level, your learning and your accomplishments needs to be kind of repeated again and again because accomplishments will build when we build a kind of a base and a body of work with the clients. Our learnings, needs to be kind of really demonstrated day in day out in terms of how our clients' potential and prospects can gain competitive advantage by leveraging or curating AI strategy. So that's been some of, I would say, the very initial learnings for us on the AI curate side.
0: The premise of 3AI is mentoring and coaching people. Have you had a mentor in life whom you would say, you know, you owe your career or you continue to look up to that person uh, you did speak about your sister, uh, whom you always consult. Would you consider her as a mentor or someone else?
1: Well, honestly, uh, I think I mean, it's uh, difficult to name or single out one. Uh, immense uh, opportunity to interface, work, and also take what I say, advice and mentorship from multiple leaders throughout my career. Uh, right from the Gillette days uh, to uh, GenPAC uh, to Fidelity, Cognizant, uh, uh, even Fractal. Uh, I had kind of let's say opportunity to work with a lot of these uh, leaders who to me have been like benchmarking and guiding force. And uh, one of the example uh, out here to the point what you said is this whole learning I had from... The CEO of Cognizant does right now, Frank D'Souza. And out and out, CEO who understands how the sales aspect of orienting yourself to the client needs to be done. How do you go to a client, which, or rather a prospect, which can never be won, and then after you come out of the meeting, you realize the client is on your side, or rather the prospect has become a client. A persona which exudes charm, suaveness and also diligence in terms of how you carry a, kind of an organization, and these are the learnings and uh, set of uh, features I, I kind of observed and learned from Frank uh, in terms of how do you build an organization from a billion to sixteen billion dollars, and that's what Cognizant uh, during the stint I was there actually saw that kind of a journey, a map of exponential growth and lot of uh, that particular aspect in terms of how do you scale up an outfit which is 0 to 1 and then 1 to 10 and then 10 to 100. came from my learnings from Cognizant and Frank, a lot of influence in terms of uh, how actually I also inculcate some of those attributes, what I learned uh, from him in my day-to-day, I would say, demonstration of uh, my own set of uh, work.
0: professor Have you... Thought about, okay, what's going to be next after all of this, if you look into the future?
1: Well, I, I think professionally, if I look, uh, I mean, so there's a lot to be done. Uh, the venture uh, AI Curate 3, I had just started. Uh, speaking about AI Curate first, I think uh, we're just uh, taking baby steps. Uh, and given the COVID situation, what I sincerely believe what will change for the organization now would be AI is good for top line, is good for bottom line, and even good for other metrics. Now, AI will also lead the way for survival of the companies. And that's where, strategically, organizations will look in terms of what kind of possibilities of decision-making, which can be leveraged by artificial intelligence, is what they can do, or other build, to kind of ensure that the companies are sustainable and survive in the rough of the times. And that's where, as I've thought of our AI Curate, we are changing, uh, as I said, pivoting in our very first six months of our evolution that we are creating new capabilities or designing new kind of AI strategies for our prospects and clients in terms of how AI can also lead to survival or elongate the business cycle of an organization. So that's something which to me as as a part of the career. Uh, In fact, it's a great learning. It's a great time to be into uh, this kind of, a let's say, mode. Of course, these are tough times, but eventually there are enormous possibilities which will emerge once we come out of it. And hopefully we should be coming out of it pretty soon. And the second thing is about my own passion of uh, kind of really uh, creating this AI analytics within India is a rallying cry, and that's where three icons are in the picture. And it's a kind of a mission where uh, something which gives me excitement and a lot of passion in terms of how we bring students, working professionals on one platform and give them that guidance, career paths in terms of whatever limited we have as part of the knowledge to say, look, we didn't have that kind of a, let's say, understanding when we were at their age, but today by any means, if we can impart, and kind of show them that, look, this is how the careers in analytics, say, are, are needs to be dealt with, I think we would have done our part. So I'm pretty excited in terms of these two ventures and hopefully with the collective help of uh, the professionals and uh, the ecosystem, uh, we would be creating some new charters out there.
0: Impressive. Any books coming along for you? Oh,
1: well, yeah, I think that's, that's been a constant kind of a question I always get asked, get and it's been uh, two years of my own uh, uh, kind of, let's say, title, what I started and uh, launched. And uh, yes, I'm working on my second uh, book, uh, too early to kind of uh, tell more about or share more about what it's all about, but uh, definitely now you know me and you guessed out, it. it has to be on an analytics mm-hmm. and AI. But it's more about in terms of what I believe uh, more like a playbook, where uh, besides the narrative, it's also about what anyone can pick up and start implementing through the virtue of ontologies, frameworks in the organization in terms of saying, look, AI is not a complex and a kind of, a let's say, esoteric subject. It's for everyone, and anyone can benefit out of this. So it's in the works, and pretty much uh, some point of time this year uh, – uh, Inshallah, I'll be able to kind of flip to
0: launch it. Great, look forward to it. Uh, and as you come closer to reveal the name of the book, I think that will be interesting. Sameer, we are almost on top of our discussion today. Uh, is there any thought or perspective which you want to share with the audience uh, or with the listeners today which I may have not covered? So,
1: uh, First of all, Anis, very, very, I would say, uh, I really like the idea of this open uh, conversation, uh, which uh, to me is something gave me an opportunity to pull out in my own, I would say, limited manner, which usually I don't. But I think a few things which I would just like to kind of uh, <clears throat> sum it up with, the one, uh, look, it's good for all of us to today challenge the status quo. Uh, these are testing times, uncharted territories, and we can't just be bracketized or siloed in our own cocoon and say, look, yeah, we've accomplished everything. No. I think what a challenge to challenge the status quo and create new kind of, let's say, ways of working, new ways of kind of demonstrating to our clients uh, from an impact perspective. That's one. Second, uh, second, I think as a part of our personality, what we need to really demonstrate and exhibit is uh, being eternally optimist. Mm. I think... Uh, Everyone today, through social media or let's say interactions, will most of the time will give us picture that it's uh, a woke world. Uh, it's very difficult to chart out the careers or difficult to navigate relationship, but it's all within us. We've so got to look at the brighter side. I think uh, the great testimonies of leaders have come in through uh, the most excruciating, painful time, and that's what. Uh, this time is all about. So we've got to really come up and really kind of be optimist in terms of what we all need to kind of do. And third is more important. Build an ecosystem of friends, family, relatives, colleagues, and even the unknown ones who can actually be with you for a cause, for a mission, or for a purpose. And those people should not come with titles, should not come just because you want to kind of meet them or interact them, they should come and really kind of be with you for a cause or a mission. And somewhere you got to also contribute in your own limited way to show them that, look, you care for them. And that's how the today's and tomorrow ecosystem will be defined, where we will be networked, but somewhere our hearts will go out for the ones we always want to belong or kind of really be affectionate around. And somewhere we say that, look, you can't be one amongst a hundred or a thousand, you need to be just with few people and they need to be with you. And that's how the story of our life will be actually.
0: Well said, sir. So on that note, Samir, thanks a lot for taking time out today. Uh And hopefully uh, we will talk soon.
1: Thanks, Anis. Thanks for the opportunity again and pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening in. And we close yet another episode of Masters Decoded. If you've enjoyed the episode, please, you can help us out by sharing it on social media. I would personally appreciate that. It's how we can reach more listeners. And the more listeners we have, the more awesome guests I can get in touch and convince to participate in these conversations. That are a joy to have for me. And I hope they are a joy for you to listen as well. You can also help a lot leaving reviews on iTunes or your podcast service of choice. Reviews are surprisingly helpful in supporting the podcast to get to more listeners. If this episode has intrigued you, I would request you to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date and get notified to the future episodes. With that, I bid you and see you in the next episode.